So if we know how to give and receive difficult feedback, we can do it when it gets really hard. And it's important to practice it when the stakes are low and it's not necessarily going to feel super hard. So that's another thing companies and organizations can do is really focus around that piece because we can't have these difficult conversations if we don't know how to talk to each other in the first place. We don't know how to listen and hear. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. Hi there, friends. My first book, Values First, How Knowing Your Core Beliefs Can Get You the Life and Career You Want, is now out in the world. Thank you so much for your support of the book. With your help, we are a number one Amazon bestseller in the business ethics category and a number one new release for time management in business and business etiquette. I have poured my heart into this book with personal stories and stories for my coaching clients using the values first framework. Between the constant pressure of job performance and demands on your time, it's easy to lose sight of your values, letting them shift out of alignment. Those simple misalignments are keeping you from feeling joyful and fulfilled. Learn how to recenter your life and career around what truly matters to you. Order Values First now at your favorite independent bookstore or at Barnes and Noble or Amazon. I wanna make sure that you are the first to know about every book activity that we have in store, including virtual and in-person events. Stay up to date by joining our list at thecatchgroup.com slash values first. That's thecatchgroup.com slash values first. Welcome to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. On this podcast, we have a commitment to amplifying lots of different voices. And in recognition of Pride Month, we want to recognize the voices of LGBT people. Today, I'm honored to have Mix Lauren Lofton as a guest on the show. Lauren began their career as an attorney, but found the structures and systems of the legal world limiting. They felt a deep connection and pull towards self-reflection and community building. Now, Lauren is a certified mediator and restorative and transformative justice practitioner and organizational effectiveness coach and consultant through their company, Transform Belonging. Lauren's areas of expertise include organizational effectiveness, professional identity formation, navigating imposter syndrome, and decolonizing workspaces via thought work and analysis via an intersectional and specifically anti-racist lens. In addition to organizational services, Lauren offers one-to-one coaching services for individuals designed to guide you through developing an intentional relationship to work and your career. 
Lauren teaches concrete wayfinding skills to navigate centering joy in our lives rather than centering our lives around work. Lauren's lived experience as a biracial, mixed, black, white, queer, non-binary person in a non-normative body and a survivor of violence informs their work. Lauren believes deeply that the personal is political and that we do not need, nor should we be forced to fragment our identities to find belonging in our communities and at work. Lauren prioritizes coaching clients who are invested in the individual and collective liberation of all historically marginalized people, and to understand that we are complex beings who experience both privilege and marginalization simultaneously. I loved my conversation with Lauren. This conversation is personal, intentional, and also packed with resources. Lauren is an educator, and you will see that in the way they teach through story, lived experience, and thoughtful resources shared. There will be a lot of things shared in the show notes, so ensure you check those out to continue your learning journey. We talked about so many important topics, including allyship versus accompliceship, how Lauren helps individuals and leaders through facilitation and coaching, Lauren's experience as a facilitator within diversity, equity, and inclusion, and a real example of how Lauren coached me and how I continue to learn among so many other important topics. Let's get started. Well, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's so good to be with you today. Well, I am excited to just share this space with you and to be in conversation with you and excited for all the listeners to get to know you. And I will say, everyone listening, you are in for a treat I cannot have a conversation with Lauren without learning so much. And they do that in such an amazing way. I've had the opportunity to work with Lauren in a couple of capacities. We were um, introduced to each other by our mutual book coach, who is wonderful. And then I have had Lauren in a coaching program and have gotten to know them that way and have just seen them blossom and so many ways. And I have as well, because of just proximity to you. Um, So I I'm excited for everybody to hear our conversation. It's going to be a very important one. Do you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your background and your story? I do not mind at all. I'm happy to do that. And I want to say shout out to Lauren Marie Fleming at Write Your Freaking Book Already, who is that incredible book coach that we have in common. Want to make sure that all the listeners know where to find her if they have an interest. Um, so my areas of expertise include organizational effectiveness, professional identity formation, helping other folks navigate around imposter syndrome, There's also a lot of thought work around what it is to decolonize workspaces. So moving away from tenants of white supremacy in the workplace and all the ways that that can show up. And when we talk about that, that can sound like a scary term for a lot of folks. Really what we're talking about are things like perfectionism, um, being really rigid around our time, not being able to move away from the idea that there's only one right way to do things. And so that's really, a, that's a nod to Tema Okun's um, White Supremacy in the Workplace document. If no one is, um, if you're not familiar, I hope 
you will familiarize yourself with it. So doing thought work around those ideas and how we can create more spaciousness for one another in the workspace. I use an intersectional lens with everything that I do. I use an anti-racist lens for everything that I do. And I do that within the context of organizational effectiveness, as well as one-on-one -on -one coaching for individuals. So trying to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to develop an intentional relationship to their work and their career. So it's so important to really just center the joy in our lives rather than centering work in our lives. Oftentimes our lives are so bound up in our work that we're not able to really take those two things apart and uncouple them from each other. So really making sure that folks know how to do that, right? And with intentionality are both finding joy at work and are making sure that work Work is not our whole lives, right? Like that's not why we why we live. We don't live to work, right? We work to be able to live our lives, hopefully in a values aligned way that brings us joy and brings us more connection toward our communities. So helping folks move away from workaholicism is another thing that I do in my coaching settings, helping us cultivate practices for self-care and for personal growth around giving and receiving feedback in our lives, right? Which is such a big tool that we have available that makes such a huge difference. So that's the overarching work that I do. That's with organizations and with individuals. Thank you so much. And I, oh my goodness, I love how you've modeled that in every interaction, this idea of decoupling yourself from your work. I think that's just a, a huge problem right now. It always has been. <laughs> Um, but you're just such a great example of, of showing others how to do that. And you do that through lots of different ways. We could talk about that, but we're also here to talk about lots of other different things. I think I could talk about yes, we are. lots of things with you. So I'm going to get back <laughs> on track. Sorry, all. Um, we we want to specifically, we'll talk about lots of different things today, but we want to center our conversation today on non-binary identity at work. And, yes. um, and I, there's, there's lots to be learned. I want to share a couple of stories, if that's okay, within our conversation, things that you've taught me, and maybe even some experiences from your life as well, if you feel comfortable sharing them. And we want to dig into a couple of things. But before we get started, you and I, before we started um, recording the podcast today, we on purpose talked about, hey, there's lots of concepts. There's lots of definitions around identity and all of these kinds of things. We made a couple of ground rules. So do you mind walking through what some of those are for our, our conversation today? Yes, absolutely. And I will say um, I approached you, Laura, actually about this topic and was so excited that you were a yes. I said, you know, I think something I haven't seen on your podcast yet, which I am an avid listener. I'd love to start my morning with your podcast whenever I can, was specifically this topic. And we're headed toward Pride Month as well. It's almost June. So I thought it might be a great time for us to do this podcast to talk about non-binary identity at work. And at the same time, as I support decoupling ourselves from our work, knowing that to show up with actual authenticity in our work means we can't leave parts of our identities at home. We can't fragment our identities and not be able to bring ourselves to work, including and especially around our gender identity, right? And the ways that people are going to visibly perceive us based on our dress, on our outward appearance, as well as with our pronouns, right? How we want other people to refer to us. 
I will also say that um, we checked in in advance about these personal stories. Thank you for confirming on the show today. But yes, absolutely excited to be able to tell from a personal framework. I think the personal is absolutely political. And so we cannot talk about these topics without getting into a bit of our personal stories. And that's really points for connection with each other. So I see it as an opportunity to connect with you in different and new ways and with this audience in different and new ways. Yeah. And we also talked about the fact that if we wanted to, this, this whole conversation could be about, here's the definition of this. Here's the definition of that. And on purpose, we're not going to go through lots of definitions. Can you give us some context around why? So definitions and best practice terms change all of the time. They're they're getting updated in a way that I will say as an older millennial myself, um, Gen Z has come up with terms that I may not have even heard of yet, even though I am, in fact, an LGBT person, a non-binary person, a trans person. So it's important to not get really rigid around the definitions and instead to pay attention to updates and best practice terms and familiarize yourself with resources that give you definitions, right? So I have created a free resource actually about LGBT employment best practices that is going to be available to folks. If they want to sign up for my mailing list, you will get a copy of that PDF um, document. And you'll notice there's no definitions in there. Instead, there are resources, including one of my favorites, which is the Queen's English by Chloe Davis. It's an LGBTQIA plus dictionary. And that has so many more terms than I could ever fit on a on a short handout for y'all. So I hope that you will utilize that resource. And there's another resource that I love that I highlighted, which is the Social Justice Advocates Guide to Gender. It's a handbook. It's got a cute gender-bred person on the front, which is a tool that we use to talk about gender when we're teaching about gender, as well as the Gender Unicorn is another popular one. Um, those two guides together really are going to give you so many definitions and so much more context beyond the definition than it makes sense to put in a handout that's an overview of best practices. So I would say take a look at the best practices and see what is your company doing? What's your organization doing? What are your practices? And then continue to revisit the terms and just know they're going to change, right? So we don't want to pick a fight with somebody about, I learned this and this word means this. That word may have a different meaning in a different region. It may have three different meanings and it may just shift over time. So I myself have to be flexible. Um, folks that are older than my generation, there are terms that we use now, such as the term queer, which was considered a pejorative and derogatory when they were my age, right? Um, but at my age, it's a word that's really been reclaimed and is a word used to refer to my personal identity and is not a pejorative, provided that somebody without that identity isn't hurling that same term at me as an insult, right? So really encouraging folks to be willing to be on a lifelong learning journey as a part of their cultural humility process. That's what it means is that we do not get to reach a finish line. We're never done with this work. It's really a marathon and not a sprint. So that means it's going to be time to learn new words as each generation comes up with their own. Yeah. And I, I love the lens that you've put on it. It's absolutely a lifelong learning journey. We're, we're never going to be done with any of these things and we should, we shouldn't want to be either. Right. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is tiring though. Sometimes yeah. we want to be done. Right. And when we get tired, that's when we need to take a break. 
right? That's when we need a little time out. And then we get back to it. That's the importance, right? Is that we pick ourselves back up and we return to it. So if you don't mind, I, well, first, I hope people understand through story. I think I learned through story. So I tend to tell some stories, a couple of things that I really hope listeners pick up on, get more info on from our conversation today is this idea of one-on-one connections to build connection, and then also just systems. And so we're going to talk about both. We're not going to talk about everything today, but we're going to talk about a few things. And where I'd love to start is just kind of one-on-one connection and understanding and navigating gender identity in the spaces that we're that we are in. We talk about work on this podcast. We also talk about lots of things, but um, this might be in a work context. In the story that I'm going to tell, this is in the space of my group coaching program, right? And so uh, the audience knows I have a group coaching program called "You Belong in the C-Suite" group coaching program, where it is different individuals, like four to six in a cohort that come together, that learn how to align their values, build boundaries, and all of, all of the great things. And I was lucky enough to have Lauren in one of my um, recent cohorts. And, um, you know, they are the only person that didn't identify as female, right? And so that is something that I was trying to like continue to learn about. And I would check in with Lauren and we have a really great relationship that we give and receive feedback to each other. Uh, And I feel that Lauren gives me lots of safe spaces to learn. And so I always hope that I'm doing the same thing, but at the same time, I was very open to say, it's not if it is when I will probably need your guidance as we go. And so I wanted to share an example of when one of those things happened, if that's okay with you. Yeah, go for it. So we were in a Zoom meeting. This is the, the caveat, I guess the, I mean, the background is that we're in a Zoom meeting in a group coaching context um, with other participants. And I misgendered Lauren, as I said, I didn't use the correct pronouns and I didn't catch myself. I was just talking and I went on to the next thing and I got a a message, a private message on Zoom from Lauren that said, I just wanted to let you know um, you used the wrong pronouns. Um, And they said, hey, this is, you know, this is what you should use instead. And I was like, oh my goodness, thank you so much for telling me this in this space. And they said, you know, it's okay. We're learning from each other. Right. And so that was an example of, I consider myself a person that is always learning, but I'm going to mess up. And they gave me the space to do that. Um, I was also in the middle of facilitating. And then I, I was like, oh, well, that's horrible that I did that to them in this space that I hoped was a safe container right? And so that's an example of, you know, we have a, I consider a pretty trusting relationship. We had known each other not that long at that point though. I don't think, um, you can correct me. Yeah. Not that long at that time. No. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and so that was just one example of one way that I'm, I misgendered Lauren and they were able to 
correct me in a, in a safe way, but I wanted to ask you, what was that like for you? And it, and it also, like, as I continue to retell it, it's like, I don't ever want to put that burden on you, but that's the, if, if you know, Lauren, she's, see, I just did it again. I'm so sorry. Ah, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, but you guys. caught it, right? Yeah, you also yeah. caught it. So you're able to hear it in a different yeah. way. And that's part of the practice, yeah. right? That's part of the learning curve. So Lauren is, is an educator, an educator that in every instance I've worked with, with Lauren, they provide instances and opportunities and spaces for you to feel okay. I will tell you, we are recording this. I'm not going to edit this out um, on purpose. We talked about that as well, right? Like I'm my my heart is racing. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> not gonna lie. It is. But that's me thinking about me, right? When this is not about me, this is about um, me honoring you and how you how you show up and who you are as a person. And so that's like a whole other thing we want to be transparent about is this idea of like, if I'm the one that messed up, it's not, it's not about me. Yes, it's not. And that's true for anything, right? Anything that we have where we might mess up around differences in our identities with other people. So whether it's race, class, gender, national origin, right? So many different ways that we may be different from one another and where we can make missteps, right? So I think part of it is just that openness that you know that it's not about you and that it's important to not be centering yourself in that moment, right? That the idea is that we tend to the person that it has had that negative impact first, right? And then we can go and gain whatever support we need about feeling in any way like garbage that we made a mistake, right? Because that's something else. That's our own relationship to our inner critic, right? That is our own harsh perfectionist standards that we may have for ourselves that we need to always be perfect and that we need to definitely be perfect when we're in front of a group or a cohort or when we're facilitating a space and when we're a leader, right? Especially, I think the guilt and shame that can come with wanting to be a leader that really shows other people how to be in the world, how we can show up in the world. And so if we don't meet that, right, it's so hard to not just drown in our disappointment and our shame. And that is when we can't learn, right? So you're able to be flexible enough. You get enough distance from whatever self-judgment might arise in that moment that you're able to actually center the person that's impacted. You were able to center me, right? And so that didn't mean that you needed to do it perfect, not for me. What that meant was you acknowledged that something had happened, right? You didn't get defensive or argue with me or tell me that I should have done something differently so that you could have shown up in a different kind of way, right? You just owned it. You said, thank you. You asked what you could do to repair and you asked what I needed to be able to feel as safe as possible moving forward. And that's really the formula. That's the formula when we mess up around anything, actually, right? And when people are willing to do that, for me, it's much easier to be gracious, Because I can see all of that effort happening. And I've had so many people that couldn't show up that way. They were only able to center themselves in the moment. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean it like that. Well, you didn't tell me or, you know, well, everyone else in this program identifies as a woman, right? Um, those Those were all potential responses that you could have had to in response to me and you didn't. 
you didn't, right? And so just that ability to be humble, right? That's where I think there's an opportunity to bridge with each other. So if somebody is going to be brave enough to be humble with you and they've made a mistake, to me, that's a gift. That's an offering. And what I don't want to do is just throw that gift right back in your face, right? Instead, I want to lean in and say, this person cares about my core humanity. This person cares about me as a person. How can I care back? How can I be caring back in my response to them? And that isn't caretaking. I don't have to make you feel better. I don't have to say that it's okay. There's actually a lot of people that would say best practice is to not say it's okay because it's not okay, actually, right? It does put the other person in a bad position, right? So not um, telling people it's okay that you made that mistake. I think for for us, because we have a bit more of a personal relationship and we have a little bit more of an in-depth understanding, even at that point, even early on, we'd still had a few one-on-one sessions. We had gotten to know each other a little bit. I wanted you to know that we were okay, that you were going to be okay, that I was going to be okay, that we were okay together, the two of us, and that we were okay as a group together moving forward, right? And that we were going to be able to navigate these waters together, right? And I said, I had a feeling, I knew that this was likely how it was going to be because this is what happens when I'm in women's spaces, right? Which is really hard as a person that was assigned female at birth, but is a non-binary person who uses they, them pronouns and has a lot of nuance in my identity and in my gender presentation. So I may show up in a very masculine looking outfit. Some folks will um, go right to a he, him pronoun and a sir kind of greeting. We have other folks that no matter how masculine I am, they will immediately go to a ma'am, right, <laughs> and and miss me and use a she, her pronoun, right? And then there's times that I'm in really feminine outfits and people that don't struggle with my they, them pronoun when I'm in a more masculine outfit really struggle when I'm in a feminine outfit, right? Because we have these gender markers externally that tell each other how to code each other. And we get taught those things from the time that we are very small children. We start coding right away. Long hair means, right? Earrings mean makeup means, skirts mean, right? And so we just start at a glance categorizing people from the time we're very small. And we actually start gendering everyone else in the world around us based on those categories. And we learn to do that through our families of origin and the ways that everyone around us also gender other people. So something that's different in my community is all of the, the LGBT parents that I know, we will default to gender neutral for everyone in the world around us. Um, many of us will do this as a practice. And so our children grow up actually going, oh, the postal service person, right? The grocery clerk, right? Without gendering them or adding um, any gendered language. And then if they were going to meet that postal service worker, they might be like, hello, postal service person. What are your pronouns, right? And then if the postal service worker says, my pronouns are she, her, right? We want to honor that she, her. We don't want to necessarily have it be neutral language for people where their pronouns are really important to them, right? We want to honor everybody's pronouns in the ways that they need and want to be fully seen in the world, right? But we start with a different baseline. But what we have are generations of people that didn't learn that. And what we have are decades of that conditioning that we're trying to undo in a moment at a glance, which is so difficult, right? And you and I talked about that learning zone, panic zone, right? Um, Comfort zone. And so when your heart is racing like that, that tells you you're in one of two places. You're either in your learning zone, which is where we want to be, or you're in your panic zone, which is where we do not 
want to be, right? So it's okay to feel some discomfort. When we feel uncomfortable, we're oftentimes worried, what is the other person going to think about me? Am I showing up the way that I want to show up? Right. Um, there's lots of reasons why we can feel that little sense of activation as long as we haven't shifted into full blown panic where our upstairs brain just shuts down or executive functioning isn't working because we can't learn anything in that moment. Right. And so we don't want to be so comfortable that we're not trying at all. Instead, we just want to lean into that learning area. And that's part of what the group and the cohort really did. So you certainly were not the only person to ever misgender me, although I will say to your credit, um, you got very good at it very quickly. Right. You had a very fast learning curve and other folks in the group also learned. And this is a thing that happens in every space that I go into where, you know, I'm the only trans or non-binary person or one of a few is that everyone around me suddenly gets put on a real fast learning curve, right, um, about how do we do this and how do we do this together. And that's in some ways, it's a form of oppression and marginalization that I experience. And it's also a gift and an opportunity that I have access to these spaces. And I have the language and the ability that people want to opt into doing things better and different, right, in a way that's going to impact my larger community that may never have the opportunity to have those conversations in the spaces that I get to be in as a person that does educational work and as an attorney. Thank you so much for, again, providing a space for, for us to continue to learn and for that additional context. It's, I, it's just so important. And I really appreciate you sharing your experience. Yeah, thank you. I think you and I were talking a little bit about the statistics for attorneys before the start of this podcast. And one of the things that I shared was, you know, it's only about 14% of the United States population that even completes an advanced degree period, right? And of attorneys, we've got about 37% nationally that are women. Non-binary people aren't even being counted at a national level. They're just starting to be counted at the California state level. Shout out to my colleagues at the California State Bar who have been doing that advocacy and making changes and um, having attorneys fill out a survey where they provide personal identifiers so that we can have that data that really tracks there. Of attorneys, we've got about 3% that are LGBT, and we've got about 4.7% that are Black specifically, 2% that are multiracial and less than 1% that report having a disability. And I am actually identified with all of those, right? All of those small percentages, the 2%, the 1%, the 4.7%, the 3%, right? Very small numbers. So I'm frequently one of the only in spaces, specifically in legal community, and also in high-level, C-suite level executive spaces, I am often the only person that looks like me and that has my identities or one of a few. And can you tell me what that what that does specifically? Like you mentioned, we mentioned in your bio, um, lots of different amazing work that you do with clients and, and organizations. What does that mean in terms of where you do work, who you do work for, where you even travel to? Can you talk about that for a bit? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things I do um, is speaking engagements that includes at educational conferences. And over my career, I've gone to a lot of different legal specific conferences and done continuing legal education courses for court staff, judges and attorneys. 
That has included travel to what in California are considered travel ban states. So states where you will not get funding from your employer, depending on who your employer is, to go to states where LGBT people's rights have really been rolled back or there's active discrimination being enacted in law in those states. Um, so that includes the state of Tennessee, which is the last state that I went to, to do a training program for judges and attorneys specifically on access to the courts for LGBT people and transgender people. I was, as far as I know, the only trans person in attendance at that conference, the only trans speaker, um, one of the few LGBT speakers, period, and the only one training on this topic, right? And there, there was really no one else like me there, right? So it was that much more important to me to be able to be visible in that space, to show up and to be able to uplift the concerns and the voices of my community, right? In a way that so few people get access to do. There's very few of us who are trainers and presenters on continuing legal education on the topic of LGBT access, right? So that's some of the work that I do. I also have traveled to your home state, Texas, and done work around actually disaster relief and the intersection of diversity issues in disaster relief work, right? So if you don't know how to not misgender somebody and you're trying to attend to them after a fire, a flood, a hurricane, a tornado, whatever it may be, right? it may be more difficult to provide support to those clients, right? And that's also true around any other diversity, equity, inclusion topic, any other form of marginalization. So if you're not aware of how you're interacting with people and how those interactions may be landing, who have identities that are different from your own, it directly interferes with our ability to provide services to other people. And people that are working in legal aid are deeply dedicated. They've dedicated their whole careers to giving back to their community and creating places of safety in times of disaster, right? And when tragedy strikes, whether it's a natural disaster or if it's something like a potential eviction or dependency foster care issues with your children, right? Or elders who need to receive services or are experiencing fraud, right? And what we know is that there are trans elders, right? Um, and we have intersecting identities. So there are Black, Indigenous, people of color who are also trans um, and often are the most marginalized within my community, right? So making sure that lawyers are able to show up to do the work, the good work that they've dedicated themselves to do in a way that they can most fully support their community members. Thank you so much for that additional context. It's as you think about it, like those laws for travel bans or to hopefully create reform in other states. But then what it does to your to your point is it then doesn't give you funding to travel to the states where you're needed most. Right. That's right. That's right. And then funding is often not provided to be a speaker at a conference like that. Right. And it's very complex who gets an honorarium, who doesn't. Right. Who's the most prestigious? Are you giving an honorarium to somebody who's less prestigious than a judge that's over here doing a training that doesn't get an honorarium? Right. And like, how do we value the labor of different people? Right. So it's it's something that I have struggled with. Right. Because I, I can't always go and provide a training for free across the country. Right. But I do look for opportunities that are high impact. And so if there's a speaking engagement where I'm really going to get to go before a whole bunch of judges and attorneys that aren't receiving best practice training on LGBT topics who are going to show up for this conference, right? Um, that really is such a huge opportunity that 
I like to lean into that and figure out how do I, how can I make it work, right? But it's not something that I can do all of the time. So I really pay attention to where's the highest possible impact and then also do trainings at a more local level, right? That are paid services, right? And so that's where organizations may hire me and individuals may hire me for executive coaching to really help transform spaces within their workplace. And that's incredible, you know, but there's opportunities like um, training for the State Bar of California or the California Judicial Council in their conference settings that have hundreds and hundreds of people, right? And so getting to have that kind of a magnitude of impact where then they go home to all the different various states that they've come from to come to this conference and they bring these best practices back home with them and start implementing them and having these challenging conversations with their peers and their colleagues feels so worth it. Right. So I do also do paid speaking engagements. So there are times that people may want me to come and talk on, on a specific subject just to their organization or company. So that's something else that I do. But the conference spaces are really a fun time for getting people from all over different places to get together and really bridge across differences. And that's that's a thing that's a part of my core values, as you know, that's something that we talked about in my values first development is how do we bridge how do we make more connection instead of um, the disconnection that I think this whole world is experiencing right now from one another, right? How do we find a way to be kind to each other in the face of great difficulty? And you've built this really great resource for us. But as we as we think about, you know, we're in leadership positions, as we think about gender identity at work, what are some very tangible things that a leader can do to build connection? with their team on these topics? Absolutely. I mean, the first part is just talking about it, right? So having in-service time, having, um, you know, if you do brown bag lunches, what I say is you and I are both introverts. So I know that you'll appreciate this, Laura, but, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if you're going to schedule a brown bag, please make sure that your staff members still have some free time to themselves. Make that a paid brown bag where it's a teach-in kind of moment and then make sure that they still have half an hour to an hour to go decompress on their own, be away from other staff, take a walk, really digest what they just learned, right? Um, because it's it's not okay to be asking people to give up their lunch time for this educational piece that really should be paid company or organization time. So just starting with valuing the topics enough to pay your employees while they're going through any kind of training, whether it's more informal, casual brown bag, or if it's having a formal facilitator come in, right? That that's paid time and that you're paying attention to everything else, whatever else their deliverables are, whatever their deadlines are. Are you making sure that they have everything they need, that they're able to hit their deadlines before they have a training? And when they get done with their training, especially if it's over the course of a few days, their whole world isn't on fire when they come back to their inbox, right? So we have have to make it so that our employees aren't feeling time pressured and overwhelmed and resentful at receiving the training. Because if people come into the training already resentful, they're shut down. They're already not in a place of learning, right? If they don't want to be there. So just starting with paying attention to that, what's the workflow? Are we paying people appropriately for their time? Have we made sure that we are spending enough time on training that we can actually get to more than just surface level topics? So if you want to bring somebody in for a two-hour training, all you're going to get are surface level topics. You really need to be invested in, okay, are we doing a full day training, two days, three days? Is this a week long? 
right? Are we bringing somebody in that's going to work with us over the course of a year or longer and really come up with a strategic plan for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the workplace, right? That includes LGBT identities. So strategic thinking is a huge piece. I'd say goal setting, come up with your purpose, right? What is the goal of engaging in this work? Do you want to ensure the safety, comfort, and healthy development of transgender and non-conforming employees? Is that a goal that you have? If so, state that in your policies and be sure to use that same language when you're talking to your employees, right? And with your employees, saying the reason that we do this is because we want to help keep every single person in this workplace safe and healthy and happy, right? And that this is part of how we do that. It's also important to pay attention to privacy and making a commitment to keep employee records confidential, which you have a legal requirement to do anyway, right? But oftentimes that doesn't get named, right? You have a right to your privacy, right? That also means that some people may not be out as transgender or as non-binary. They may be questioning. They might not be sure yet. Um, they might not be doing what's called a medical transition, which might involve surgery or hormones. Some people do not ever medically transition. So um, not making an assumption that somebody is going to change their body or their clothing in some way, even if they are using a pronoun that might be different than the pronoun that you met them with, or might be different from what your um, unconscious bias in your brain told you they they would use based on their outward appearance, right? Um, and making clear that if there is a medical transition, it will be fully supported by HR and by the company. And that includes through your insurance providers. So if you're not selecting insurance providers that provide gender affirming care as it relates to pregnancy, hormones, surgeries, right, then you're not actually values aligned. So you got to make sure that whatever insurance providers you have are aligned with those policies and practices that you say your company is about upholding, right, for the safety and well-being of your employees. Paying attention to names and pronouns is another huge one. So a great place to pay attention there are signature lines in your emails and on your business cards is a newer one, whether that's an e-business card or a physical old school paper business card, and making sure that it's not just the trans or non-binary person that has their pronouns on their business card. That's very othering and singling out in a way. Instead, making sure that it's the best practice that everyone uses pronouns on their business cards, right? And that everyone uses pronouns in their signature line. Ideally, that signature line also has information about what are pronouns? Why are we doing this, right? It has a little educational opportunity built in right there. Paying attention to restrooms is another huge thing, making sure that every person has access to a bathroom that matches their identity and their level of comfort and safety that's needed. So that might include single stall bathrooms. Transgender folks, myself included, experience a disproportionate amount of harm, lack of safety, and violence in bathrooms. And so it may be that a single stall is where someone is going to feel safest because that's where they are not afraid that they're going to be assaulted. And you might not be thinking about that as an employer because as a baseline, right, no one's assaulting each other as, as, as a standard, right, in our workplaces, right? We would hope that that would never happen, right? And yet... I know that I have and my community members have the experience of, for instance, being, you know, smacked by a purse by somebody that perceives us to be male and therefore a threat in a bathroom um, that they think doesn't match the bathroom that we're in, right? Or go running and screaming to grab security because they don't think that we're in the right bathroom that we should be in or physically removed 
from a bathroom by security, including while actually using the restroom, which was one that happened to me. That was not a super fun one that um, that company received training afterward. What they didn't know is that they had physically removed from a bathroom a transgender attorney who was using that bathroom, right? And so thankfully, I had done work um, with the San Francisco Human Rights Commission, and I knew that they existed and that they were a resource for people that experienced things like this. And I was able to report it, and they used um, mediation practices and some restorative practices to help support businesses and companies when things go wrong and, and figure out how do we repair where possible. Right. So they were able to provide training to that organization. But you want to make sure that, you know, everyone at your organization from the security on up has been trained around how to be supportive of the safety of trans and gender nonconforming people. So if a security guard has somebody running up to them saying somebody's in the wrong bathroom, right, the premise should start with we make a presumption that everyone is in the correct bathroom that they know which bathroom is the right bathroom for them. Was this person threatening you? Was this person unsafe with you in some way? Did this person verbally assault you or say something that made you feel really uncomfortable, right? Being able to stop and take a pause and ask some questions, right? So that training is really necessary all the way through staff, not just keeping these trainings, kind of gatekeeping these trainings only to higher level staff, um, staff with the fanciest titles, right? Paying attention to discrimination and harassment as a baseline, making it really clear to people that you've got um, a zero tolerance policy for those kinds of behaviors, like what I just talked about in the bathroom example, and also making some space for relational repair, right? If that happened, is it possible to see if those two people are able to be in conversation about what happened in some way later, and that the one is able to offer an apology to another? An apology can go a long way, right? And then if somebody continues to engage in behaviors that are harmful toward others, being able to have an investigation, have education and training, up to and including termination if necessary, if a person is really intentionally refusing to be respectful of trans and non-binary people and gender non-conforming people. So that's the big overview, right? Um, I think also having companies and organizations regularly update those terms and definitions to make sure that there's a shared language um, and culture in the workspace. So if people are using the same words, but they all have different definitions for them, we can have a lot of miscommunications and a lot of difficult moments, right? And, and sometimes huge fallouts with one another when actually we're just talking about two different things. So making sure that everyone has similar definitions and everyone knows how to both give and receive difficult feedback with one another on any topic, right? So if we know how to give and receive difficult feedback, we can do it when it gets really hard. And it's important to practice it when the stakes are low and it's not necessarily going to feel super hard. So that's another thing companies and organizations can do is really focus around that piece because we can't have these difficult conversations if we don't know how to talk to each other in the first place. We don't know how to listen and hear. There's so much amazing tactical things, the actionable things that leaders, organizations can do. Lots of different ways that you work with leaders and organizations. Tell me about who you like working with most. Like what's most fulfilling to you at this moment of time in your career and with your business? Thank you for asking. I love the one-on-one -on -one coaching. It's, it's probably my favorite right now. Um, just being able to really goal set with people and then watch the arc of their learning and watch them change and 
really blossom. So uh, you were kind enough to refer to the ways that you saw me blossom in our coaching setting. And that's exactly what I love to do with other people as well, really being able to see that arc of growth and being able to name that and show that to them, even when they can't see it, right? That change is coming if that is what you want to do is, is to make a big change, right? And then to see folks that are also able to make internal changes rather than necessarily changing their workplace, right? Changing their relationship to work. So sometimes we do need a career change. Sometimes we do need to change employers to get our needs met. And sometimes we need to learn how to have better and different boundaries, right? And different approaches to our work to be able to be really satisfied where we are. So I love watching people come into themselves, really, and and find themselves and figure out how they show up to that as leaders. So I do love working with executive leadership who can have a large impact on an organization or a company who have the ability to write and change policies and practices and through their own personal journeys are able to understand what might be a benefit to all of their employees, what might be a benefit to all of the staff. HR professionals are also another category of folks that I love working with. I think working in HR is incredibly challenging. And part of the challenge is that you're responsible for safeguarding the organization and the company first and foremost, at the same time as you are put in a position to be a trusted individual with someone who is experiencing harm at work, right? You may be in a position where your title is talent acquisition and retention, right? But you're also responsible for payroll and a gazillion other tasks, right? Onboarding and offboarding, a ton of paperwork. And at the same time as you're supposed to be doing all of those things, you're supposed to be showing up to the people side of it. And it can be exhausting. So what I like to do is help people figure out how can they resource themselves to show up fully to the work that they're doing. I do a lot of work with executive directors around how to interface with their board as well. So have served on board committees and do a lot of heart work with boards about, okay, what direction do we see this organization going in? What's really in alignment with the mission and values? Let's develop a diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging framework. That's something that I do at SEEDS, which is another area of my work, services that encourage effective dialogue and solutions. Um, I work very closely with the board on things like that. Theory of change and action. How do we change this organization? How do we change ourselves? How do we change the world? How do those things interact? So really being able to dream and vision is where I get super excited. And I still love to do training. So I'm a facilitator at heart. I love being in large group spaces where I help people get into small groups and pairs, do journaling activities, self-reflection, and really go through an educational professional development day or series of days that shape the rest of the year and really guide everyone toward a common goal as they move through their professional careers, right? And helping people figure out how they're gonna elevate in their career. So how do you move from the position that you're in to where you really wanna want to be headed, right? And what does that mean for your team? What does that mean for the larger picture? So all of those things bring me a lot of joy and there's actually an upcoming um, public training. So for folks that might not be able to afford the price point of my individual coaching or my organizational um, training costs, um, at Seeds, we do offer sliding scale trainings that are open and available to the public. There's one upcoming on how to lead meetings. So that's a great one for leaders. How do you facilitate meetings? 
meetings. It's our 101 level. So you can come in with any level of experience. And we're going to give the whole group a baseline that teaches how we use these restorative communication practices, how we um, are both accountable and kind together, that those two things can and and must happen um, to, to create a better world, right? And so I hope anybody that's interested will take a look at that and consider signing up for that training where we do talk through how do we give and receive feedback, right? What is it to have restorative communication, right? What communication skills are key for learning how to empathize, for actively listening? What kind of clarifying questions help us get um, underneath the surface of things and start bridging across those differences and really talking about power culture and identity. So that's all those different categories we were talking about before, race, ethnicity, gender, class, sexual orientation, education, all of those different buckets and a lot of hands-on practice, which is what I really enjoy is not just talking about the thing, but practicing the thing because that's where we get better is in the practice. Absolutely. And I love that I've been able to gain firsthand knowledge on, you know, your, just your facilitation, the nuance, how you meet people where they are, the examples that you give. There is not a facilitator that I have seen better. I mean, you are just so skilled at what you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much. And the great news is so many of these skills can be taught, right? So I am excited to create a space where other people can come in and bring their own personalities and takes on life and figure out, okay, how do I bring my own personal lived experience and examples to the container that I'm creating, right? And how can I show up in this way that really invites people to be brave and bold enough to be in their learning space and their learning zone. Thank you so much for being in this space with me today. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure, Laura. And I think I want to shout out one other resource that we're going to have in the show notes for folks. It's a resource that came out in 2020, but it's updated annually and has been updated within the last couple of years. And it's the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Racial Justice um, Toolkit for Civil Legal Aid Organizations. There's a ton of great content in there, um, whether or not you are a civil legal aid organization, but it's being used right now from New York to California. It's the only resource that I know of of its kind. And it came out um, shortly after the police killing of George Floyd. So it was a, a toolkit that I had been working on in conjunction with the board and the executive director at Legal Aid Association of California for some time. And it was really just in its final stages right around that same time. And organizations really called to have something to guide this work, right? People that were not aware of the oppression that is still very much alive and well towards specifically Black community, but also Black, Indigenous, people of color, right? LGBT people, queer people, trans people, people with disabilities, and people that rest at all those intersections of identity really became much more aware and said, we've got to do something. What do we do, right? I, I want to be a part of a positive change in the civil rights movement. And so in this swell of the civil rights movement, this toolkit came out and really gave people a guide for how to make change in their organizations, how to create policies that were supportive, what kinds of practices to really start engaging in 
to just show up better and different in this world with each other and to start having these brave and difficult conversations. So it's a free resource that's available. It's a resource that hopefully helps folks um, figure out what exactly is my organization doing now and what could it be doing differently, including around actual policies and procedures. So there's some good stuff in there for HR folks. And knowing that a part of the Black Lives Matter movement and civil rights movement that's been happening also has been in response to the state sanctioned killings and violence against trans people and trans black people. So just wanting to uplift those who may be most marginalized in our communities and who are experiencing a lack of safety, right, as a result of that marginalization and that connection to our our core identities, to the felt sense of really who we are and that we deserve to be free of that. So also thinking about Tony McDade as as one of the many lives lost, in addition to names that folks may be more familiar with, like George Floyd, who I mentioned earlier, or Breonna Taylor. So really wanting to honor community members wherever we can by engaging in this lifelong learning process and taking action. So it really is uh, meant to be a verb. We talked about what's the difference between an ally and an accomplice before the start of this podcast, right? And I think being an ally is really just a baseline. It's, it's a little bit more passive. It's kind of a noun. It's a descriptor of somebody who hopefully is more than just tolerant, um, who, when things happen, hopefully speak up and disrupt any moments where they're experiencing um, marginalization of other people around them, right? Saying, hey, that's not okay. And like, let's let's talk about it. Let's check in. Let's talk about um, how to not misgender somebody in the future. Do you want to practice with me, right? Let me give you a few exercises and homework for you to take home and try out, right? Those kinds of things versus an accomplice Accomplice, it's really a verb, right? It's it's being very active. How do I reallocate resources to this community? How do I make sure that in our hiring and our promotion practices, we are seeing people from all walks of life represented at the highest levels at our organizations and our companies? And um, how do I pay attention to the land in which I'm situated? So today, um, I will say I am uh, zooming in from Ohlone territory in the East Bay, um, Oakland, Berkeley area. And we have land trusts in, in the Bay Area that help rematriate or return the land to the original stewards of the land, indigenous people, in ways that are possible, right? So through these land trust programs. And so it's important to not just, for instance, do a land acknowledgement where we say where we're situated and we acknowledge the original stewards of the land, but what are we doing to help, right, return the land in some way? What are we doing to help undo when and how we can the ongoing barriers and systemic oppression that's happening for individual groups and what are the action items that we have available to us right here and now. And if there is no land trust in your area, right, like what can you do to help support the creation of a land trust in your area, those kinds of things. So really paying attention to what are my actions as opposed to a baseline of when something happens that I know isn't right, I say something, I speak up and I try to let other people know. That's that's a good thing. It's not going to change the conditions of this world in and of itself, right? It, it is important for our interpersonal relationships and our ability to be able to be in community with each other. And it's it's not enough, right? So being able to be 
paying attention to not just the lip service that we pay to things, but what, where do we put our money, right? Are we spending money in Black, Indigenous, and people of color-owned businesses and LGBT-owned businesses? Um, if we're directing our dollars to LGBT businesses, are the LGBT businesses also owned by a person of color? Are we supporting women leadership specifically, right? Um, all of those kinds of things are so important for really creating a world where hopefully we don't have to learn about pronouns on a podcast, right? Where like everyone knows how to do that because that's actually the social norm that's been created by the generations that have come before. So I really look at the the seven generations out. I look back seven generations before me and thank all the people that made everything in my world possible, that made it possible for me to be out and proud with a lot of safety, that made it possible for me to be on this podcast today. And then I look forward toward the generations that I will never see in my lifetime, right? Hoping for a different and better world because of things like showing up to conversations like this, even when it might um, feel and be hard, right? And making sure that I'm resourced enough that I can show up bravely in those conversations. And if I'm not, that I go and take care of myself so that I can keep showing up, right? And not everyone can do that. Not everyone is resourced enough to do that. Not everybody has the financial privilege, the emotional room, access to therapy and acupuncture and all the things that help keep us resourced and make it possible for us to show back up. So showing up, knowing that many other people who experience more marginalization, they can't, and they're not going to be able to show up until we get these conditions changed. And then I'm not free, until everybody around me is free. I'm not liberated until everybody around me is liberated. So really trying to move these conversations in a way that our big leaders, our organizations and our companies know that and know that as pride season comes, it's about more than cute rainbow and trans flags. Although yes, we love that. Not mad at cute flags, not mad at your corporate t-shirts that are very LGBT plus friendly. I think that that sign of visible inclusion is beautiful. It does also need to match our words, actions and our behaviors, right? It needs to match those, those actions that are a verb as well. It's not enough to have it be on a t-shirt if um, someone's lived experience in their workplace is one where they're not able to advance, they're not able to use a bathroom safely, where they're misgendered regularly, or they don't feel comfortable showing up fully as themselves, right? So excited that hopefully there's a lot of leaders listening today who have influence, who are already dedicated to this, that are already on their journey, and that have really the power to shape that change in their organizations. And um, a big thank you to everyone listening for everything that you're already doing and any new ideas that you may have gotten from this podcast that you may implement moving forward. So grateful for your leadership. Thank you so much, Lauren, for being here today and for all the education and resources. Y'all, the resources that Lauren provides, you, you won't see anything else like it anywhere. So much amazing information that allows you to continue learning and to do that work. We'll link all the resources that Lauren mentioned in our show notes, and I urge you to download the PDF that they've created specifically for us and to get on that journey. And just, again, thank you so, so much for sharing this space with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's such a gift to be in community with you. And it amazes me how our values 
are so aligned that no matter all the different ways that we're different, we're able to come together and always find so much common good to be in conversation about. So I'm I'm so excited that your book is out in the world. I'm so excited for people to be leading with their values. And I'm so grateful for the ways that you've um, helped support me to lead by my values first as well in all the work that I do. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care. Mm